0: Welcome to Ivy League Murders. My name is Sarah Alcorn. I'm a Harvard graduate and a private investigator.
1: And my name is Laura Rodriguez-McDonald. I'm a University of Miami graduate, longtime crime aficionado,
0: and part of a fourth-generation NYPD family. Laura and I don't always agree on everything. With her NYPD roots and my criminal defense background, sometimes we find ourselves on opposite sides of the jury. We do share a mutual passion for crime solving, and we both grew up in Cambridge, steps away from Harvard University.
1: On Ivy League Murders, we discuss cases where the best of the best make the worst decisions. We look at people who seemingly have it all and throw it all away.
0: Murder, murder. Oh, my. Okay, so, Laura, this is the third time we've updated our listeners on the William Bradford Bishop case. We just can't get away from this case. We can't. I mean, (laughs) we keep keep on getting these very exciting (laughs) updates. So this is truly a cold case that is opening up. And this is a 50 year old mystery that's being solved. So, Laura, recap for our listeners. Why is the Bishop case a 50 year mystery? Well, Bishop was a Yale graduate,
1: I should say is a Yale graduate, we don't know if Bishop could still be alive, and a former Foreign Service officer. He worked in espionage and spoke five languages. In 1976, after losing a promotion, Bishop methodically planned and murdered his wife, three sons, and his mother. He then drove the bodies to a remote area in North Carolina, placed them in a hole, and burned them. Except for a brief sighting in Jacksonville, North Carolina, later in the day, Bishop was never seen again. This is a case that has eluded authorities for 50
0: years. Yeah, this is a case that goes back to the 70s. So it's very rare to get new information on such a cold case. And it really, it's not a cold case in the sense that they don't know who did it. William Bradford Bishop annihilated his family and then went on the land. They simply couldn't find Bishop. And in fact, he was on the FBI Most Wanted list, has been since then. Yes, periodically. It actually seemed like the case was simply cold. If you want a deeper dive, then listen to our two previous episodes on this, the original episode 22 of season one and then episode 16 of season two. And oh my gosh, we're in our third season, Laura. We have over 50 episodes. (laughs) I know, unbelievable. Back on the show today, we are honored to welcome back Kathy Sidebottom-Gilchrist. Hello, Kathy. Hey,
2: Kathy. Hi. Good to hear from you guys again. As what I you- said, you're like my friends. Yeah.
0: Absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. <laughs> Kathy, can you fill in our listeners? What, if, if somebody is listening to this for the first time, what is your connection mm-hmm. to this case and what's your journey on this
2: Okay, long story short, I was adopted as a child in the most wholesome of families. Anyway, I uh, never searched for my birth parents until I was 60 years old, and I took one of those over-the-counter DNA tests, and after a lot of research, I finally found my father. Never expected to find him on the Murderpedia webpage. Or on the FBI's
0: most wanted list, (laughs) but there he was. And your father is none other than William Bradford Bishop.
2: That's correct. There were a lot of people who didn't believe it, that it was a great story. As you know, I wrote a book about the whole journey, but recently, as a matter of fact, on Easter Sunday, I received... A confirmation in the form of a matching DNA test with a cousin on Bishop's side. So he is my father. (laughs) Whether or not you believe in DNA or science, he is my father. It's been
0: confirmed. The FBI seems like it was a bit skeptical about this match. Can you tell us a little bit about that portion of the story? The FBI's involvement.
2: Exactly. Actually, this this kind of interesting. I called the FBI after my jaw finished dropping. I called the FBI being a good citizen and said, hey, you know, I took this DNA test. This is after a lot of searching by my cousin, a biological cousin I had uh, uncovered. You know, we've concluded that I am his daughter. And we sent all that information. They recorded it. My cousin also called with the evidence. We called the Baltimore Police Department with a murders took place. And I won't say they blew me off, but it was kind of like, well, I don't know. I don't know about that DNA thing. So seriously, years passed. And it wasn't until after I published the book that I wrote and a local reporter from Wilmington, North Carolina, I live in North Carolina, came down and did a wonderful interview with me that a couple weeks later, the two gentlemen arrived at my door from the FBI. (laughs) And uh, they literally knocked at my door, came unannounced. I was not home, of course. My husband said, "Um, hello. And they said, we need to talk to Kathy Gilchrist. We're with the FBI. And suddenly, uh, four years later, they took an interest in this case. So I did talk with the FBI. My cousin Susan, who did the genealogy study, talked with the FBI. And they said, oh, we never really expected this to be true, but looks like it's probably true. (laughs) So they did uh, a bit of searching themselves. So
0: they they conclusively matched your DNA to William Bradford Bishop.
2: Well, I haven't talked to the agent since she told Susan to be cautious about making that known. But yeah, I'll tell you, you guys have breaking news. Yes. Yes. Mm -hmm. They concluded it. They were shocked. Because all this time, the whole idea of adding DNA evidence, I guess, to the study of forensics is still too new to be validated. But, yep, I knew all along anyway because a cousin on his side took a test and it was confirmed. So, looks like this is going to open up. In the meantime, I get calls from a lot of people with a lot of information. Uh, Just the other day, I spoke with, and I don't think she'll mind my mentioning her name, Alexis Linkletter. I don't know if you know her. She really is Art Linkletter's great-granddaughter. She does documentaries and podcasts in LA, and she told me that a friend of her family was the best man at Brad Bishop's wedding and had been his best friend since middle school. She's trying to connect us. I don't know whether it's too painful for him to talk to me, I would certainly. I did confirm with my cousin that Brad did indeed drop out of Yale in May of 1957, which would have been the end of his junior year. He did claim that there was a family emergency at home or he had run out of money. I've heard several reasons why he left. He went back to Pasadena for a year my cousin did confirm that. Her mother was Brad's direct first cousin. And she said, Yeah, Brad was home for a year. So I had concluded already that I was probably the reason why he dropped out
0: of school. But it kind of looks like that
2: and, and and Absolutely. You- no one ever
0: mentioned that. Yeah. You don't look you don't look a day over 30, but you know, <laughs> but what, what is your what's your date well, of birth? <laughs> June fifteenth is my
2: 64th birthday. Ah, so my father yeah
1: so there you go it really fits in because I mean as I've researched over and over that year never really made a lot of sense Mm -hmm. to me because I did hear it was Mm -hmm. financial and Mm -hmm. that really didn't make sense to me as far Mm -hmm. as what I knew Mm -hmm. about Mm -hmm. the family Mm -hmm. and then he went back the next year so you kind of wonder if it was financial how did he go back
2: this is like exactly a big
1: corner puzzle piece that you just stuck in there That makes perfect sense. He had to get out of Dodge, right? Per year,
2: right? As far as I know, I'm the only one because obviously I exist. So I'm the only one that made that conclusion. I said I know why he left, and yes, my cousin Judy from Brad's side, yeah, she confirmed it. She said there was no family emergency, there was no lack of funds. The bishops were not wealthy, you know. As I say, he wasn't a trust fund kid, but. He was an only child. It's funny, as Judy described him, this is interesting. She said, when I learned the word narcissist in high school, I immediately thought that's my cousin, Brad. (laughs) Yeah, she said there was no reason why he was home, but apparently that was a very well kept secret. But surely somebody knew.
0: Somebody had to know. So we haven't spoken to you in a few months now. You were kind Mm -hmm. enough to Mm -hmm. to talk to us. I think after you published your book and we found you. but since since then obviously the big news is that you've been linked conclusively to bishop mm-hmm, as mm-hmm. your father what other developments have you come across i think the last time we were going to speak to you you were on the cusp of speaking to the family of the guy that had discovered the, the hideous discovery of those graves. Right,
2: right. I haven't, I still talk to them. They're very interested in me coming. We just haven't got a date because there's just some other things in the works and we're trying to coordinate it all. But yeah, they have a story to tell. Theirs is, you know, different. I understand a lot of years have passed and a lot of procedures are different. Okay so I'm not really I'm I'm not really sure what is true what really happened they have a story they were afraid the woman the wife of the forest ranger who found those bodies told me she lived in absolute fear that bishop was going to come after them and she swears that that station wagon pulled into her driveway Wow. but pulled out again. So they've lived with that their whole lives and they're anxious to talk to me. There's a lot of people who are really anxious to tie up a lot of loose ends and sure, be vindicated. Sure.
0: So what's curious is and we we need so, to talk about Ken. <laughs> Ken. <laughs> Our mutual friend Our Ken. mutual friend and and we'll, we'll mm-hmm, we, won't, mm-hmm. we won't use any names other than and we'll we'll keep his end in Just Ken. Because- <laughs> So Laura and I received a very unusual, anonymous phone call some Sunday night that we were- Late, preferably late. Yeah, like around 10.30. As a PI, I am not weird phone call, not weird. Unusual phone calls are not out (laughs) of the realm for me. And we happened to be together that night, which was by chance. Exactly. We were recording the next morning or what have you. In any case, so we received this phone call. From a guy who was convinced that his next door neighbor was William Bradford Bishop. And he had some very compelling stories to tell about this person. Mm -hmm. And I believe also when we reconnected with you, Kathy, he's also been in touch with you as well. And mm-hmm. so I know that he contacted you on Mother's Day. Tell us in a little bit about Ken and what Sure. You know.
2: I was actually visiting my daughter and my grandson and my son-in-law in Atlanta. And on Mother's Day, about eight thirty in the morning was the first of six phone calls that I received on Mother's Day. And I don't answer, you know, I don't answer the phone if I don't know who it is. So the Messages were cryptic and started with I have some information about your father. I really need to talk to you. And the, the phone calls continued to come, and I just left the voicemails. I didn't answer. I got a little bit more urgent each time, but not threatening or anyway. He just kept saying, I really know that you want to talk to me. And they continued into about, I think he'd give up about 10 o'clock that night. And then they started the next day and continued for a few more days. In the meantime, since I had my own FBI guy, um, (laughs) I called the detective that I've been working with, the agent, and I said, get these phone calls. I'm going to forward the messages to you. I said, I really don't want to, I didn't want to engage with him or her. We didn't even know because it's a computer voice that I was listening to. So... I sent all the messages on and they said, we'll see what we can do to identify who it is. And then they called me back and they said, I still wasn't answering them. And they increased. It was probably the same night because I'm remembering that I got a call about 10 o'clock at night. And for an old person like me, that's late. So he probably called you after he was frustrated (laughs) from trying to reach me. So um, he did finally call me back. But the FBI said to me, record those. They said, in the very best possible scenario, we would be with you when you get these calls. But he wasn't, Ken wasn't going to commit to a time. To call me, but he did call me. I had my husband's phone. I put his message on speakerphone and I had my phone next to it. I recorded about, gosh, 55 minutes of his really interesting conversation. Yeah. Again, he swears that Brad Bishop was his next door neighbor and he wouldn't commit to specific places, but he said the Wisconsin woods gave me all kinds of information. I mean, even really creepy details like that he had been digging at his face and he said why he was using an assumed name Brad Bishop was of course and he said what are you doing to your face he says i'm just sick of this mole it's bothering me well my father and i share the same mole okay so he was trying to get rid of it and he obviously at one point can realize that he had had new teeth made dentures made i don't know if he shared all that information with you that made his Mouth looked different, and it said my chin jutted out too much, so I had smaller teeth made. Okay, I mean, that kind of makes sense for someone who doesn't want to be recognized. So that's kind of weird. And the most chilling information was that Ken said that Brad would get talking a lot when he was doing mushrooms and drinking, and he'd ask him about his children. And he said, well, yeah, I told you I I had a wife who died. And he said, I turned those three boys over to my brother-in-law, which is creepy because his brother-in-law took care of the funeral arrangements. So in essence, he did turn them over. I mean, that's horrible. Then he said, I have another kid too, because when I was in college, I had a fling with a woman and she said she was pregnant and I didn't want to have any part of it. So that's what made me have chills. I said, that's only the first person who has made that connection. Right. That that would be me.
1: When I, we first started listening, we weren't quite sure. But the more we heard, mm-hmm. the more details we heard that were right spot on. So we realized. Right. Whether or not Ken is right, he's convinced he's right. He is convinced
2: he, that he right. Is next right. Oh yeah, absolutely, absolutely. We, we we should
1: include that Ken told us that he had pictures of this person, which was mm-hmm. the really interesting mm-hmm. part. And then he sent us these pictures, which we forwarded to mm-hmm. you. And uh, right, and that was pretty fascinating. So Ken's story was: this was his neighbor who had since passed away. And he wanted
2: Yeah, DNA. interesting. Did he tell you?
1: Yeah. Well, Did he tell
2: you how he passed away? Yes. Oh, he yeah.
1: killed himself. A fire. He yeah. said, well, I think he said well, he, he, oh, he was like fell asleep drunk or something. And, and it was a fire.
2: Well, what he told me was that every year in April, he held a vigil. And he lit, he bought out all the candles that he could find in this little town in in northern Wisconsin. And he would light all of these candles, which would probably coincide with the funeral of his murder victims that apparently Ken had said, one of these days, you're going to burn, you know, you drink too much. You can't light all these candles. And that's what he said happened to him, which kind of adds another creepy element to the story. That same night, after I hung up from talking with Ken and I was trying to get him to, he, he really wants my DNA right. because he wants, yeah. He wants the and reward. then he started to talk. He wants a reward. Yeah. And he has all kinds of theories. I said, well, why don't you go to the FBI? He doesn't trust the FBI. He thinks he won't get the reward money, but he was convinced that I would be his path toward that. And we could help each other out. He did ask me if I deal in Bitcoin. I said, no, but anyway, After I hung up from him, that's when I received your email with the pictures. I said, well, why don't you talk to a reporter friend of mine? If you don't want to talk to the FBI, I can hook you up with other people. And uh, he said, well, I talked to your friends, your radio friends. And I had to think for a minute. And, you know, he was so protective about his identity. I said, why don't you call me on a phone? And he said, no, 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 that would cost me minutes. And I thought, okay. He really didn't want me to be able to reach him, but yet he emails you. (laughs)
0: and gives you a name. And let's also say, and Ken, if you're listening, and we hope you are, you have said that you have DNA evidence from William Bradford Bishop. You have cigarette butts, you have hair. (laughs) Yeah,
1: that was another element. He had collected DNA because he had been suspicious. Yeah. Right. And so
0: what we would love to do is facilitate a DNA match between maybe you, Kathy, mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. and that DNA. Since you are conclusively Bishop's daughter, if we could match that DNA, that would be great. Right, And, so, and then Ken would be eligible
1: for the reward. We're not right. interested in that. We're just interested I mean, I didn't even the know there
2: was a reward. I'm, I'm not interested in, yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I just mean, am interested in solving the question.
1: He, he really painted his neighbor as a kind of a lonely, sad alcoholic who just mm-hmm. kind of mm-hmm. around, around drinking, and he was... Suspe- now, how he got the suspicion that this man was Bradley Bishop, who knows, but it's pretty interesting that he got this suspicion and then researched Bishop, which is what
0: apparently he did. I think the proof is in the pudding. If those items that he collected from this man matched the DNA, then bam, sure. that that's it. Mm-hmm. That is the... Absolutely. Case solved. He did tell me a story
2: about Bishop had to get out of his residence for a while. And so he checked into a hotel and apparently he had, apparently Ken was his transportation. So he was checking into a hotel in town and he started to write his name in the ledger. According to Ken, he started to write W period B and Ken approached him on that and said, what are you writing? and he corrected himself. He said he tried to get a copy of that ledger. He said Bishop ripped it out and threw it away. And he tried to get a copy of it, but I guess the hotel people wouldn't let him have it or something like that. So that's how he concluded conclusively that it would be Bishop. You know, as I say, there's a lot of details, too many details to even mention today. But, you know, he knew a lot of stuff that I had never heard from anyone else. And could be him. Could be Bishop calling and playing with us. Who knows? And
0: Ken, if you're listening, please contact us. We
2: yeah, want we want to hear done. from you.
0: Yeah, we definitely do. Our only interest is the truth. That's our only interest. Yeah. We
1: have no mm-hmm. no other motive but mm-hmm. the truth. Yeah, right. Absolutely.
0: And also, the FBI has gone up and spoken to your cousin, the genealogist. Is that correct?
2: Yes. Uh huh. To verify everything, you know, Susan walked them through the whole process of how she made, because it was very hard to identify my father. He has no siblings. So I have no aunts or uncles. It was hard to track him down. She did an amazing job. She actually tracked him down through his mother's records. It was a very tedious search. Yes, Lobelia. I resemble, I mean, I could be Lobelia's twin. It's kind of scary.
1: (laughs) It's amazing that you have such a positive and upbeat attitude about all of this for some people this could be quite upsetting.
2: And you know I talk about that in my book and and I'll be honest with you it was just a story and I'm a really dramatic person. So for <laughs> the longest time it was just a story. I have to say that when I that on Easter Sunday when we found out that that DNA proved it things changed a little bit my attitude then I I kind of said oh my god it's true it's for real and then it became a little more a little more vivid, yeah. But I don't dwell on that. What happened happened. I, I keep telling people I have no homicidal tendencies. I taught public school. I had opportunities. <laughs> Never killed anybody,
0: so I don't think balance. I'm going to. Yeah. And and Kathy, Kathy, <laughs> Kathy, what's next? Put us on your radar. What's yes. What's next?
2: Oh story? boy. Next um, the next step is hopefully. The FBI are going to start talking to these people who did know. You know, I have found a lot of people, a roommate um, from Yale. I believe that his, the bishop's wife's brother, is still alive. And I understand it's painful for them to talk to me. But as my cousin on Bishop's side said, we have been living. Under this dark cloud for so long, we would really like to have closure. We'd like to meet you because obviously, and they're very sweet. They say, obviously he did something well, even if he was just a sperm donor, you know. <laughs> but it also has a message for adoptees and for finding out there's that whole element, finding out who you are and why you are the way you are. You know, so there's just a whole lot. but I would just love to know the story. There are lots of people. It's it's, and I think it's an interesting story to tell. I think there's a lot of messages. So I'm hearing from people who make documentaries and do podcasts. I'm a little bit out of my league right now. So I have a lawyer I'm working with. My life has changed a little bit. Well, Um, you you wanted, yeah, I'm I'm anxious to tell the story.
0: You wanted drama, Kathy, and you got it. (laughs) You know what I mean.
2: You know, this is the classic case. Be careful what you wish for, for sure, for sure. As long as nobody gets hurt, Kathy.
1: So, what would your message be to other adoptees out there, or people searching for parents or?
2: Um, Okay, Uh, yeah, that's a that's a really good question because and it's a very loaded question. But keep in mind that nurturance is really important in your upbringing but so are the genes that you inherit. And there are so many different ways to parent and people have room in their lives for all kinds of forms of love and forms of family. I do caution people to make sure that they are emotionally strong enough to deal with secrets that might be revealed. You know, I always had a gut feeling that I shouldn't, search for parents. And so I'm glad that led me to wait until I was old enough and emotionally mature enough to deal with what I discovered, you know, yeah. but uh, it's not something to take lightly.
0: So why don't we do this at this point, you guys, thank you so much again for speaking with us, Kathy. Thank you, Kathy. You're, and, uh, you're welcome. Made- you're well, always made- welcome. Let's make a pact. If either one of us hears back from Ken, we'll contact the other. <laughs> okay. Okay? okay. Ken, we need you. Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. Give me a call,
1: Ken. Yeah. Please keep us updated, Kathy. Yeah, please. I
2: please. will. You know I will.
1: All all right. Right. You guys have a all great the best.
2: You too, Kathy. Thank you so much. Bye-bye.